Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. It's so great to see you today. If you have known me and my family for a time, you know that for a while we lived in St. Paul, Minnesota for about five years. You also know, if you know me, that I, I like to fish. I wouldn't call myself an expert fisherman at all, but I really do enjoy it. And I look for opportunities to go out into nature and enjoy the presence of God and the beauty he's created. And, and yes, I also like to catch big fish and a lot of fish. It's just fun. Which the combination of those, those things, both where I lived and the fact that I like fishing, makes it a little annoying to me, frankly, that I didn't know that this place existed. This is the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. And no, your eyes do not deceive you. That is a giant musky statue, complete with stairs that you can walk up and stand on this platform and look out over the land and probably have pictures taken as you wave childishly. But at the end of the day, I would probably, if I'd known it was there in scenic Hayward, Wisconsin, I probably would have gone just to walk up inside the fish right? It was established in 1980 and it includes such famous inductees as Louis Agassiz. He was a Swiss fisheries scientist who migrated to the United States and established many of the fishery practices we still use today. There's also 2022 inductee John Prochnow, who was an, a famous inventor of, of lures and developer and designer of lures and fishing technology. Now, Full disclosure, if that doesn't get you excited and you don't know who those people are, um, I didn't either until a couple of days ago, frankly. <laughs> because though I do enjoy fishing, and though I was close, and though I probably should have would have gone had I known just because of the fish I got to walk up inside, because I'm that guy. The truth is, I'm not that passionate about a fishing hall of fame. Now that is in contrast to people who are, because clearly it took a number of people to raise the money to buy the land and build that place. It was 1980 it opened and who've kept it going all along. And to the people who are nominated, they're nominated because there are others around them who really believe that these are heroes of freshwater fishing. These are, are people who stand as shining examples of what can be accomplished or who they're paying in some ways homage to for the accomplishments they have made or the impact they have made or or maybe even looking at them and saying I want my name in those lights too because I want to make that kind of impact I want to be like that guy and, and and as obscure as the freshwater fishing hall of fame might seem to some of us the truth is we have hall of fames for just about everything any of us are passionate about, right? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the College Basketball Hall of Fame. There's even a National Insurance Hall of Fame in the state of Alabama. I don't know what they have there. Maybe they have the perfect, the most perfect policy ever written, you know, stamped and framed up and alarmed like the Mona Lisa. I don't know. But the point is, to those who build these halls of fame, they do so because they want to honor and lift up those who are shining examples in something they too are pursuing. As we continue our study in the book of Hebrews, we're in Hebrews chapter 11 today, and the author really kind of takes the time to write down a hall of fame of God's people, those that 
he looks to and he wants us to look to and say, these are the people that are shining examples of what it means to be one of God's people, to be a follower of God. And through it, the author seeks to kind of help followers of Jesus identify one common thread that runs through the entire fabric of God's people, those who are able to live out the faith as God desired them to do. And that, that one thread is faith. Faith. Now, if you're sitting here saying, well, I have faith. I, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and he's my Savior and, 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 and I'm going to heaven and I believe in that. And I want to say, that's incredible. That is absolutely the beginnings of what it means to be faithful. But faith is far more than just belief. Now, I could cry, try to craft some really cool definition of what that is. But frankly, the author of Hebrews does a much better job and does it in only a couple of verses. So we're going to spend some time today in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to make some references to the next 37 verses after that, but I'm certainly not going to make us all read all 40 verses today. But if you would, read along with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read out of the CSB. It says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. There's that definition. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not yet seen. That word he chooses for reality there, hypostasis, you see it translated in other translation as it is the confidence of what is hoped for, or it is the assurance of what is hoped for. It's the very nature of what it's hoped for. That's, that word can also mean that, or the very substance upon which it is built. And I think that's important. I think it is faith, truly lived out, complete faith that is more than just belief, is the substance upon which eternal, lasting, unassailable hope is built. He also talks about it being proof. Proof it, that it's, it's a, a test or this, this faith is kind of a, a, a test or a trial. That's the meaning of the Greek word. It's kind of a test or a trial that shows what a thing really is, what it's really made of and where it really finds its value and comes to life. Between these two concepts, these ideas, the author here is describing a faith that is not just a state of being, but as Chuck Swindoll would say, it's the act of being faithful or the activity of being faithful. The implication there would be that even, as James says, even the demons believe. It's more than just knowing it's a thing and knowing that God is real and, and knowing that Jesus died on the cross and saying, yes, I believe that. There's something more to it. This faith truly, when it's lived out as it should be, demonstrates that we don't know everything. Right? And the author says that here. He says, you know, the, the faith is not all about compiling all the possible facts and getting it all right because God defied the facts, right? He created something from nothing. He made what is seen, what is here, right in front of us, and us ourselves from things that were invisible, that were not seen, that were unknown, that are truthfully beyond our understanding. And that's important. It is by faith that we understand that God 
himself is in many ways beyond our understanding. And that's not going to come from getting all the facts together. There's something more to it. It's important that, that we recognize we can and probably should at times make philosophical and scientific arguments for a creator, right? Or for an originator or an intelligent designer. We've heard that phrase a lot in the last 10 or 20 years. But a living faith is demonstrative of something that is beyond mere understanding. It is more than a mental exercise. You know, some of us lean into the mental aspects of our faith, the things that we can understand and grasp and wrap our heads around. And we live out only those things that we can grasp and understand and wrap our heads around. And so our faith becomes um, designed around and identified by rituals and processes and patterns. And, and we are unable sometimes to see outside of what we currently know to be true and ask, is God doing more than I think he is? Or is he trying to teach me something I didn't understand before? There are others of us who lean towards the heart piece of what it means to live out our faith, right? Where we, we, our faith is driven by what we feel and what we experience in a moment of time. And when he's missing, when he's gone, when we don't feel like, we don't feel his presence, our faith struggles. We wonder where he is and has he left us? The truth is he is not. We're just not feeling that right now. Jesus says that what our greatest commandment is when pressed and, and the Pharisees say, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The short answer is that's all of who you are. And though we are all wired to have natural leanings towards the mental piece of faith or the heart piece of faith or the, the service piece of what it means to love the Lord our God, right? And, and being able to service and do things for others and represent him and glorify him well by helping others out. And our faith can struggle if that's the basis of our faith and only that piece, that component, when we're unable to help and unable to serve because of some physical ailment or lack of money or whatever the case may be, our faith struggles too. But if our faith is really alive and well, if it contains all of these pieces and it comes together in its fullness, that is the faith that brings a hope that cannot be taken away. It's important that we understand that this isn't just a mental exercise. It's also about living out our faith actively because that is when it really becomes whole. Paul talks about this challenge in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, as he's speaking to people in a Greek town, the town of Corinth. And in a Greek town, their hall of fame at the time would have been the philosophers and the scientists. It would have been the intelligent people, the smartest people. In fact, um, Paul spends much of the Corinthian letters trying to help people understand that their egos need to be set aside. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how many languages you speak. It's not about how much you know. There's more to this. And in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 1 of of 1 Corinthians, he says it so well. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to the power of God, it, it is the power of God to those who are being saved. And I love verse 19. It says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence 
of the intelligent. It's to say that genuine faith and, and God himself and the way he works and who he is is beyond what we think we can handle mentally. Our mind, we're not nearly as smart as we think we are. Let's just say it that way. We're not as smart as we think we are. And genuine faith recognizes that. We don't know everything. The only one who does is God. Faith is more than that mental exercise. It's also a matter of heart and a matter of action. So what are some lessons we can learn from this hall of fame the writer of Hebrews has put together? The first one we meet is in verse 4 of chapter 11, and it's Abel. Abel, a shepherd. If you know the story of, of Cain and Abel, Abel was a shepherd who made an offering unto God from the flock that he had, a perfect offering unto God. And Cain, his brother, was a farmer. He made an offering of fruit. And if you know the story, you know that Abel's offer was accepted and Cain's was not. And there's over the years, many have asked why, right? They both made offerings. Why? Well, the difference is, that Abel made an offering that was what God requested. God requested a blood sacrifice. He had demonstrated that earlier in the text that this was what it meant to bring an offering to God was a blood sacrifice. And so Abel made that happen. Cain didn't have easy access to a blood sacrifice because he was a farmer. He raised crops. And so he chose to make a different offering. Now he could have asked his brother Abel, for a, another blood sacrifice and paid him for it in fruit, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. He chose instead to redefine what God was asking from him based on what he was willing to give or what was easiest for him to give. And that's important because <laughs> faith, living faithfully means offering God what he wants from us, not what we want to give him. Living faithfully Living out our faith in its fullness means giving God what he wants from us, not what we want to give him. It's not about good works. It's not about uh, man-made rituals. Yes, those are components. Those are outpourings of our faith. But the truth is, what he really wants from us is trust and obedience. Abel trusted that what he was calling what God was calling him to do was the thing he needed to do, and so he did it. No questions, no attempt to redefine it. If God says that our job is to spread the gospel, no attempt to redefine it. Our job is to spread the gospel, right? If God says that our, God, our job is to serve the poor and the needy, there's no attempt to redefine it and say, I'm not willing to serve them in my community. I'll do it somewhere else. You don't redefine that. We serve those that God presents before us. No questions asked, that's who we take care of because we're trusting that he's directing us where we need to go and we're being obedient to the call that he has on our life. We don't get to rewrite the rules. Faith doesn't, right? The next person he meets is Enoch, right? Enoch, we see him in verse five. He's one of only two people in all of scripture to not experience death. Jesus experienced death and then went to heaven. Elijah and Enoch both went straight to heaven because they were walking so closely with God that he didn't want them to experience that. He just wanted to take them home and take them home now. Isn't that what we would all want, right? Enoch understood something. In, in verse six of our text today, Hebrews chapter 11, Enoch, his understanding was this. Now, 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Enoch knew that it wasn't about getting everything right. It was about having faith, trusting him, believing in him, walking with him, giving all of who we are to him. That's what faith lived out looks like. He says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch was living in the time leading up to Noah's flood, and that's the person we're going to read about next. But he's living in a time that is becoming so depraved and so messed up and dark and just in many ways downright evil amongst human beings that it would lead God at one point to say, I can't believe this is happening. And he he demonstrated sadness for having created humanity. Oh, that's heavy. But Enoch, in the midst of all this that was swirling around him, Enoch chose to follow him, not because of trying to earn God's favor, but because he knew that as walk, in walking with him and trusting and being obedient to him, he already had it. It's a position of the heart. Why do we do the things we do? Do we do it to gain something or do we do it because we already have something? And that's a relationship with God. Enoch understood that it's really about response, not about gaining something. The next one is Noah in verse chapter in chapter verse seven of chapter eleven. My goodness, it says by faith after he was warned about what was not yet seen. There's that phrase again, and motivated by godly fear built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah spent years building that ark. You know he was laughed at and ridiculed and said, what flood? What are you talking about? That's not coming. It's not a real thing. His neighbors probably said he was nuts. He watched the entire world crumble around him and it would have been really easy to just throw down his tools and just go live out his life and say, this flood's never coming. You're not God. I don't have faith that, that you really can make this happen. But instead, he chooses to live faithfully to what God has called him to do, to build what he's called him to build, even though he doesn't quite understand how this is all going to work out. And even though likely all of public opinion was against him, he did what he was called to do because God, trusting God and obeying God was enough. It's the only motivator he needed. The author of Hebrews then continues to go through other well-known he heroes of the faith. He talks about Abraham, who left behind all of what he had in order to follow God into what was at the time an unknown land. He didn't know where God was taking him, but because he trusted him, he obeyed him. And because he believed in him, he had his heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of who he was in following God. And he did just that. Did he do it perfectly? No, if you read Genesis, he dropped the ball several times because he's human, just like you and I. But he trusted God and he went where he wanted him to go. And because of that, it was credited to him as faith. He talks about Abraham's wife, Sarah, and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab the prostitute, who was, by the way, even in the line of Jesus. And just as the writer of Hebrews says in verse 32 of the chapter, he says, and what more can I say? There, the time is too short for me to tell you about all of the heroes of this faith, about all of those who have demonstrated for us 
what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to follow him with all of who we are, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and strength, to give everything to, to, to him, not just believe in him, but to trust him and to follow him wherever he tells us to go. Some of the people in these stories, they endured pain and even torture. Some had dreams come true and some, their dreams were squashed. They never happened, never came to fruition. But their faith on the things that were not yet seen allowed them to persevere. This can be a troubling time for us right now where it can feel like as a follower of God, it can feel like there's a whole lot working against you and it can become very easy to say, I'm going to turtle up and I'm going to sit tight and I'm going to wait this out. But faith is at its most vibrant and most alive when it's lived out, when it's not just a mental exercise or something we believe, but it's also a matter of allowing our heart to be driven and our bodies to be driven and our choices to be driven and our actions to be driven by the things that God is calling us to. And it was that faith, not their perfection, not their personal merit, not their pedigree, their history, where they've come from, that allowed them to see the future that God had promised. It's faith. And to live in their present with a hope that cannot be extinguished, cannot be squashed, and that no one else in the world could possibly have. If you find yourself in a place of your faith where you're struggling to have that hope, I would like to do two things. One, I would like to close praying for you. But before that, I want to encourage you to live out what God is calling you to do. Because living it out actively, choosing to say, I, I will set aside the fear of the things of this earth and instead fear what God has called me to do. I will fear him. And yes, I do think in some ways that means to fear him. But to actually go out and do it, take the risk, go serve others, go spread the gospel. These are all things that God has asked us to trust that if we just do it in faith, he will work it out. There's nothing more amazing and, and no greater opportunity to see God work than to actually do the work he is doing, to come alongside him and go where he tells us to go. I can't stress that enough. Don't turtle. It's bad for you, and frankly, it's bad for the world. But let me, let me pray for you. Father God, it, I, I pray that whoever might be hearing this message, if they are someone who's lost hope, whose faith feels like it's shriveling up and dwindling and and maybe even dying, that today would be the day that they would rekindle that hope. Today would be the day that they choose to trust, that they choose to obey, and as the old hymn says, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That they would, their faith would be more than just a matter of thinking or more than just a matter of feeling or more than just a matter of doing. It would be all three. It would be all three in one, all of who they are, they would find a way to set aside their own pride, that they would lift up the heroes of this faith that have demonstrated so many examples on what it means to follow God. It's really about humility and trust and obedience. It's about just doing what you're asking us to do and trusting that you will work out the rest. I pray that when they have the courage to do that, even if it's just small steps out of the gate, that they will see their faith truly come to life 
and that they will see you present in their lives and in their world and see that glory beyond anything they can possibly even wrap their brains around now because you are beyond our understanding. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies and your grace, and thank you most of all for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Have a great day.